Uh, what a week, huh? A week of, of uh, change. We're all getting ready for something. I mean, think about the last few days. We spent all this time and energy, whether it's traveling to see family or dusting off all re- our old recipes, and we slide into Thursday to stop and remember and be thankful, hopefully for all that God has done this year and what he provides day by day, the things we don't even think about. But then we're, this is one of those strange weeks, you immediately flip the switch, and while you're eating turkey and gravy or whatever, you're also clicking and buying stuff. This is the nature of this, the week, is Thursday, and then Friday becomes get the tree Turn, take out the lights and get your house set for Christmas. I'm just curious, how many of you already have Christmas decoration full-blown in the house? All right, wow, that's actually less than I thought. We, we didn't make it to the inside, but yesterday before the rain came down, we were putting all the exterior lights and uh, decorations and parties, and we, we so quickly moved from, thank, thank you, God? I don't know what happened, but it was hysterical. Oh, our lights fell down. Yeah, there you go. Uh, one little announcement. Uh, if anyone could come and repair a light afterwards, there's always an opportunity to serve. Well, uh, Advent um, Advent is, is the season that's been marked out and set apart for us to prepare our hearts. The problem with the coming of Jesus, it's, it's become so familiar it can lose its power if we're not careful. So for centuries, for centuries and centuries, the church has tried to help, God's people have tried to help to make sure that we don't miss the moment and miss the significance of Jesus' coming. So Advent is a four-week period where we prepare our hearts. And some uh, use calendars as countdowns to remind and devotionals that go with it so that each day you're thinking about what it means for Jesus to arrive. Others use candles week by week to remind yourself of these significant points. Whether you use a calendar or a candle or not is not the point. Advent just comes from the Latin word adventus, which means arrival or coming. And it is the point in the year where we stop and remember the coming, the arrival of Jesus. And it's it's about at least three things, probably more. It is definitely about the coming and the arrival of Jesus. We remember that God came and was born as a real man on a mission to bring us back to life with God. That, it is a remembering of what God has already done. But Advent's also remembering what God is doing now. Whenever someone receives Jesus Christ, when they hear the good news that God already knows we're sinful, He's not surprised. But God already provided a way of escape from the penalty of sin by sending his son out of his love. God sent his son into the world to be born, to live the life we couldn't live, and and then at the end to give his life as a ransom for many. Every time someone becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, we are seeing the coming, the arrival, Advent. Jesus' work is still working in our world. And Advent is not just a looking back or a looking at what he's doing now. It's also a looking ahead. Advent is the reminder that Jesus promised to return. So we're preparing our hearts, thinking back, thinking now, and thinking towards the future. So here's what we want to do over the next few weeks. We want to look at these cornerstone, uh, meaningful words that refer and connect to the coming of Jesus. And obviously today we're going to look at hope. What happened? What, what has God done? Why is there hope for the world and hope for you? 
for your circumstance, for, for your challenge that you woke up with this morning, for the stack of things that you're like, oh Lord, if you could just get me through, for the impossible, that you're like, God, if there's any, if there's any, any, any way that you could, why can we wake up, why can we go to bed, why can we live each moment with hope? Uh, it's because of a statement that God gave by the Spirit through the prophet Isaiah. We'll put it on the screen. Isaiah 9, verses 2, and then verses 6 to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The Spirit of God gave Isaiah the ability to see what was to come. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. He'll be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish the 700 years before the coming of Jesus. God lets us know, who's this child going to be? What kind of peace is he going to bring? How is, how is God going to bring about justice in an unjust world and righteousness in a world that's filled with wrong? How, how is it going to happen? And then because we read all of the Bible, 700 years beforehand, God is telling his people it's going to happen through a child. And then Matthew, because now we've been given by the Spirit the whole Bible, Matthew picks up on that. Matthew 1, verse 18 through 25 this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, which is the one Isaiah is referring to, came about. The son. This is how it happened. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, it's interesting, he will reign on David's throne forever and ever. So Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary to be home, a home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, quote, and this is another one of the statements given to Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, end quote. Now when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And so what Isaiah is leaning in towards that will happen in the future is now given that son, that child, that boy is now given a name. His name is Jesus. And, and Isaiah was looking ahead and saw, and Matthew is telling us who weren't there, looking back, how God fulfilled his promise. So um, please be here and bring as many people as you can. I think that after a few years of being so disconnected in life, all sorts of habits have formed um, for many 
whether it's coming together in public places uh, is still something that people want to do, is slowly returning. But when you think about inviting people to consider Jesus, I just can't think of a more simple invitation than to invite people on Christmas Eve. You know, they may not be ready to come on a regular Sunday for a message that they're unfamiliar with in a group of people that they're not familiar with, but if there's ever a time where people need to be hear a message of hope, uh, I'm, I'm inviting you to invite as many as you can. Let's pack this place out, and we're going to read the whole story and narrative, and it's going to be a clear message of how Jesus makes a difference in everyday life, and the Christmas songs will all be amazing. The lights will all fall at the same time. It will be, hopefully not. Um, and as a little bonus, someone on our team had a great idea of, hey, man, how come we don't do a photo booth? I'm like, that's a brilliant idea. So you could even do your family photo with a photo booth. This year, it'll be set up in the lobby, and so uh, please come on Christmas Eve. But over the next four Sundays, what we want to do is Christmas Eve is just going to be a culmination of all we've been thinking about. We want to prepare our hearts to remember the boy who would save the world, the, the boy who would grow up and die in our place and rise again, the boy who promised to return because he goes to the father, the boy who's now grown, Jesus, says, I'm coming back. And until then, uh, I have something for you to do and something for you to enjoy. The Bible starts, it begins with men and women together in a garden that God had prepared, enjoying the presence of the creator. And the Bible ends with a similar theme. It's different. Now there's untold people. It starts with just one couple, but the Bible ends in a world made new. But Jesus is at the center being worshipped. And, and all of these people from all tongues and tribes and nations, humanity grows. But now those who are worshipping God are with him forever in this world made new. And the same thing is happening life with God. You see it at the beginning. You see it broken down because of sin. You see God preparing a rescue all throughout the Bible. And, and where we're headed is eternity with God. But here's what we need to remember and why we need to prepare our hearts is because we're living in the in-between. Jesus has come. Isaiah's prophecy has already been fulfilled. And we see because of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and everything forward, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and not what the life that Jesus calls us to live. We know that. But we're living in the time before Jesus' return, which is why we have to recenter our hearts. Jesus is alive and ruling and reigning the universe, but this world has not been fully made new. And so we're living in a world that is beautiful. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, yesterday I was out raking leaves because we got a big old willow, and, and not one leaf was, was falling on the ground. It was, it was just perfect. I got it spotless till I walked into the house. And, and then I came out, like, oh, a few trickled. And then I came out this morning, and every leaf is gone, and now it's worse than yesterday. Humanity is broken. Amen. Things are falling, literally. Um, and we live in a beautiful world that's full of color. Autumn is, the, to me, my favorite season because you're seeing the transition and the vibrant colors, but then things drop off and die. And you see it in nature and you see it in life. So the world is beautiful and good because God created it and God is involved in it. But yet we're still living in a world that's filled with violence and war 
and famine and a world where we need to collect clothing for humans living on the street. Where we have to collect bedding for people who've been taken out of their country and leave wondering what am I going to do with my life because their place is not safe and they come for a place of refuge and don't have a, a blanket, right? We live in a world that's beautiful and broken, a world filled with, with all sorts of wonder and injustice, a world where pain and suffering grow and we feel it, a world that has hospitals that uh, are filled with those who want to leave but can't, and sickness and disappointment and death. And we're living in the in-between. This is why Advent is so important for us, not just in the month of December, but for everyday life. Four words to focus our hearts on. We're going to look at hope, and then we're going to look at peace. We're going to look at joy. We're going to look at love. Uh, today, we just want to think about hope. Uh, hope's one of those squishy words. Some words are really clear, like stop, <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty clear. Do not continue. Um, but hope is like a squishy word because it's like, what does it actually mean? Um, what does it mean to you? Like hope in, in our everyday conversation is more like wish. Like I hope I get a promotion. I wish I would get a promotion or be recognized. Or it could mean uh, like I want, I, I want that to be real. I, I hope that that's gonna happen but that's not what the Bible calls hope, and that's not what the scriptures are calling us to. It's not about, I hope it turns out that way, or man, I wish this, this would be a better situation. Hope in the scriptures is, is this. It's a confident expectation. Hope for us, as Jesus followers, is confident expectation. Two major Greek words that you see in the New Testament, the noun and the verb, all have to do with a confident expectation that God is at work and faithful to his promise. And this is why you and I can step into the season with all of our challenges and yet at the same time can live with hope. And so when we say we want to put our hope in Jesus, we're not saying we wish Jesus might do something or wouldn't it be great if Jesus would provide something. When you and I are saying that my hope, our hope, is centered on Jesus, we are declaring that we have a confident expectation that God will be faithful to his word and will do what he says he'll do. And this is what we need to ground our mind in because everything around us might be saying otherwise. Your checkbook might be saying otherwise. Your health might be saying otherwise. Your relational situation might be saying otherwise. You're like, Jose, I am, I'm not living with a confident expectation. I'm wondering if. And you're not alone. How does the Advent bring hope? How does the coming of Jesus bring hope? Well, hope comes as a child. We just read it a couple of minutes ago. God promised to bring a rescuer who'll be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, that this one is going to come. Now, here's the challenge. How many years between him declaring it and it happening. Well, from Isaiah's vantage point, it was 700 years. And this is the challenge with hope. We have a confident expectation, but it doesn't mean that it happens in our timeline. And this is why it's frustrating, right? 
We love God. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet we wonder, how come it's not happening right now? Uh, the way God promises is sometimes surprising to us. And that should not be a surprise. So in this season, a couple of things we're invited to do. I think, one, in this season, we're invited to look back. Why can we live grounded with hope? We look at God's faithful pattern. Romans 15, 4. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have Hope for some of us, especially if you're newer to following Jesus, maybe you can't see God's faithful track record yet in your life. And that's fair. If you're newer to following Jesus, I'm not going to assume that you could say, well, I have a confident expectation that God will be faithful because you're newer along the journey. But every single one of us have thousands and thousands of years of God's faithfulness in our hands or on your phone. Right here, we see God's faithful track record. It's the reason why in the season we look back. We remember that God has kept his word. And if you want to, you can, there's also devotionals to do it, track all of these prophecies spoken by these people who didn't know each other necessarily, but the spirit of God was speaking through them and they declared these things that came to pass centuries later, all pointing towards one person Jesus, where he would be born, his family line, what he would do. All of these things were told by God so that when Jesus arrives, it should not be a surprise. We, we realize that, yeah, we, we lack in faithfulness, but God doesn't. Now the timing may not be according to your timetable, 700 years before Jesus arrives, Isaiah is given a hint. And so for, for us, it seems long for God it's a blip. It's not even a second, but he is faithful. But we also look forward. No matter what we're going through, we could look at God's faithfulness behind us. We could see it in Scripture. We could see it in our own lives. But we also look forward. John 14, we think of the promise of Jesus. Listen, do not let your hearts be troubled. We can all go home and just think about that one. Jesus tells you and me. Your heart will want to be troubled. Your soul will be filled with acid, just gnawing at you. There is no hope. And Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Because he's God's son. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I'll take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. What has God promised to do that we haven't seen yet? You see, in this life, our hearts are going to lean towards being troubled, but we can, and this is what we hope to do as we make our way towards the celebration of Jesus' arrival. We look back at the faithfulness of God 
all throughout the pages of Scripture, and he was faithful to Adam and Eve, even in their brokenness, and he was faithful to Abram and Sarah, even in their own brokenness, and he was faithful to Moses, and he was faithful to David, and the list goes on and on, and you have so many humans, real people that God has been faithful to, and so even if you can't see it in your own life, you could see God's track record on display, but I also look ahead and realize, you know what, in this world, I'm going to have trouble. But I could guard my heart. And, and Jesus says, don't let it be overwhelmed with trouble because if you believe God and you believe also in me, here's what I'm telling you. I am going. Jesus goes to the cross and pays for our sin and he rises again and he tells his followers, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come back. And we haven't seen it yet. You're like, well, that was 2,000 years ago. Well, 700 years between Isaiah and the, and the prophecy about Jesus. This is, this is a long, big deal for us. For God, this is nothing. But he will come back. He will come back. And if he doesn't come back quickly, you will see him at some point very soon. Hopefully not tomorrow, but your day's coming and my day's coming where we will meet the Lord. And so this is our grounded hope. We can have a confident expectation that God will always be faithful even when I'm faithless. He will be faithful to his word. He will be faithful to his promise. And, and that should rise up a hope that's larger than our insurmountable problems. And I know some of you well, and I know what you're facing well, and I don't know all of you, but I know that there's many in this room who are facing insurmountable odds and, and we can be grounded in the faithfulness of God before us and the faithfulness of God that is ahead of us. And we can live with a hope that's deeper than despair, that comes from the pain and suffering that we're walking through. Okay, so hope as I look back, hope as I look forward. But what about hope in the here and now? Like, what do I actually do? You say, Jose, we want to center our hearts in hope. That sounds great in theory. Nice preacher phrase. Doesn't really help. What do I do to foster, and maybe for some of you, it's going to be an asking and inviting God to rekindle hope in your soul. What can I do to foster a grounded, confident expectation? Because I believe there are things we can do to put our hearts in a position where we are afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. We are afraid though. I mean, like, I can't help but be afraid when I look at the things that I'm facing and say, oh my gosh, but what can I do to ground my heart in a confident expectation that the God who has been faithful and promised to be faithful will be faithful to me right now? There are many things you could do. I just want us to look at one small phrase from Paul, who's a follower of Jesus, who's leading churches and sees people in all sorts of problems, in all sorts of cities, he sees the same thing. People who love Jesus are facing trial and trouble. And so one thing that will help you, by the way, to be grounded in confident expectation and the faithfulness of God is to know that you're not alone in trouble. Trouble is the common air that we all breathe. And the heaviness of trouble, it may seem light to you right now, you could breathe really fine, uh, today, but next season, next year, next week, next month, whatever the next is, you could be breathing deeply, heavily, trying to catch your breath because so much trouble has filled your lungs, you don't know what to do. But trouble is felt by all of us. This is actually a word of encouragement. What do we do? 
Well, Paul throws in a little line in one of his letters to a church in a city called Thessalonica that is super helpful and it's very short, which I like, because I can grab hold of it and maybe do something with it this week. Let's just read it together. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. It's just one line. We'll put it on the screen. I want us to say this out loud together. One, two, three. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. There's a few things. Again, this isn't a magic pill, but this, this is something I could do to foster a spirit of confident expectation that could rise up and help me navigate a heart that wants to be troubled. Rejoice always. God's will in Jesus is for us to always be filled with joy. Now let me be clear. This does not mean that we are happy about everything and that we're happy all the time and that we turn on joy and happiness when life feels like hell on earth, that we pretend that everything's great, it's all cool, it's all fine, it's all going to work out, it all, it all work out somehow. No, 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 we don't smile at tragedy. And we don't laugh at pain. Please, if I'm in pain, do not laugh. You ever been around that person? You bump your knee and you're hurting. Ow! And <laughs> we have those in our family. I won't mention them by name, but it's not, it's not enjoyable. No bueno, man. No good. We know. We cry. We feel deeply. We lament. We sit in sorrow. And we come to God and say, why, oh Lord? Why? Why me? Why now? Why this? You say, Jose, you're contradicting yourself. You just said, rejoice always. No, I think what Paul's saying is in line what he tells the church at Philippi, which is, quote, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. So rejoice always is the short line. But what he's saying is rejoice in the Lord, always. What does that mean? What He's pulling on, uh, have you ever read the Psalms? And the Psalms is this book, 150 of these short poetic lines, songs, that people would sing as acts of worship. And if you read the Psalms, here's what you're going to find. Many of them are praise and thanks to God. Many of them. More of them are filled with sorrow. More of the Psalms have a, why, O oh Lord? Because this is the human emotion. Some are songs about the king, which are pointing ahead towards Jesus. But no matter what you, which psalm you look at, all of them are worship to God. Coming to God in your darkest hour is worship, and you might not be happy about the situation, but you are rejoicing in the Lord. You're making that moment of pain an act of worship. I think what Paul is getting at is come to God always. And I will say it again, come to God. And in God, there can be joy in the middle of pain. Joy to get you through the night. So this is not pretending and masking and faking. So if you feel like your heart is slipping in this season. And 
I know it from the calendar and just experience. Thanksgiving is beautiful for some and painful for many. And we're moving towards Christmas. And this season is beautiful for some and horrific for many. So as we're preparing our hearts, we're also thinking about the hearts of the people around us because, frankly, we all need to be reminded, life isn't about you. It's just not. But you are a person that God loves and God wants to breathe hope into and he wants you to be a channel of hope to others and this hope, this confident expectation in the faithfulness of God is grounded in a life that brings everything to God always. So I come to him and come to him. Rejoice in the Lord always. That could be a song today. I would encourage you to say, well, what can I do, Jose, to just foster hope? Uh, create a playlist of meaningful songs to you. Prepare it now. Songs of worship, songs of praise. Don't, 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 don't throw jingle bells in there. It's not going to help you, okay? And mama kissing Santa Claus, so what? But the, the, real songs, re, and they could be Christmas themed, they may not. Get, get yourself a playlist ready. Get it ready now. And in a moment where you feel the weight of the world, just put it on. And let those songs be vehicles for you to take that pain, take those thoughts, take that situation, and bring it back to God. And, and that you may not be able to, to thank him yet fully and feel the joy of his presence yet fully because the weight is real, and that's okay. But you're rejoicing in the Lord always, bringing all things at all times to him. Okay, the second thing is super clear. Pray, how often? Continually. <laughs> so Jesus said a parable once, and I won't read it, but it's in Luke 18. He's like, he, he taught a parable to remind his disciples how to pray and not give up, which I like. He, he gives a story because he knows that his disciples, like all disciples, are going to tend to give up when they pray. And it's, it's a little parable about a, a judge. And this judge doesn't love God, doesn't care about the opinions of people. He's really stern. But he has a widow who comes to him who's had some injustice. And she keeps coming back to this judge saying, I, I want you to take my case. I want you to take my case. And she keeps knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. And Jesus says in this little parable that like, man, not because of God, not because of the opinions of people, this lady is driving me crazy. She just won't stop. She keeps coming and coming and gives her the justice that she's been asking for. And then I'm going to quote Jesus' line. Jesus says, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And Jesus wants to remind his followers that in the first moment of of rejoicing in the Lord always, of coming and bringing it to him, you may not see a change in the time that you desire, but God knows when his kids come to him and come to him and come to him. And it's not as though he's trying to string you along. And he's not saying come again because he's unconcerned or busy with someone else's problems. He just loves when his kids have a confident expectation that he will be just because that's who he is. 
And he will be faithful because that's who he is. And when his kids keep coming to him, sometimes out of confident expectation, other times limping along, whatever it is, Jesus says, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. So in this season, I'm inviting you to pray alone. Set your alarm five minutes earlier every day till Christmas. This is like practical. Five minutes earlier than you need to. And take those five minutes and, and, and don't waste them. Maybe put one of the songs on that playlist to start your day and get your mind thinking. Maybe on your phone have a few things that matter to you or the people around you and it's on your note on your phone or on a, a journal or a piece of paper and it's there so that you can rise and say, God, it's now Monday and I know that you heard these things yesterday, but there's still a concern, and I'm coming to you. We pray alone. We pray when we're gathered here a little bit later. In a few moments, we're going to respond, and we're going to pray about the things that matter to us. And I'm actually going to invite you um, to stand, not now, but at the right moment. If you say, Jose, I just need God to intervene and I'm not going to ask you to share those details with anyone. And no one is going to pray for you in terms of like come over to you and say, hey, can you tell me about it? But we want to pray together with a confident expectation in the faithfulness of God. So I'm going to invite you. Some of you know like, man, I'm just, I need prayer. Well, we're going to do that together. And we pray for one another when the singing happens as is our every weekly custom we have a few people that hang out in the back and they're waiting to pray for you. And if you want someone to pray for you one-on-one, -on -one, we want to do that. We do that all the time. Why? What's the point? It's because we want to ground our hearts and pray continuously. So if you feel like your hope is slipping, maybe find ways to spend a little more time bringing those things to God. I think some of us think we're praying but we're actually just thinking about maybe we should pray about it. Does that make sense? Like we're not actually talking to God about it. We're not actually pleading about it. We're just saying, uh, I'm thinking about it. No, let's come to him alone together at all times. And finally, uh, he says, give thanks in everything. To be clear, once again, with rejoice in the Lord always, we are not thanking God for all that has happened. Because some things, frankly, are from the evil one. I'm not thanking God for that. Some things are evil. Some things are wrong. Some things should not have happened. We're not thanking him for the specific pain or the specific disease. But we are thanking him in every circumstance. God, I don't know why this has happened. And I hate that this has happened. But I'm coming to you. And I'm remembering this isn't the only thing that happened. I remember all of your faithfulness all throughout my life. This, I don't understand. This, I'm asking you to remove, but I'm thanking you all the while, knowing this is big to me, but you cover all of my life. You cover every breath. You cover my past, my today, and my future. And so sometimes it's hard for us to get our hearts settled. Let's just be reminded, hope is the confident expectation that I can have in the faithfulness of God 
to keep his promise. He has done it already. And in Jesus, the promise of the future is already secure. We will be with him forever. But right now, if your hope is slipping, it could be a set list of worship songs, because sometimes songs get my mind off the details and get it Godward. If songs aren't helpful, don't, don't do that. It could be praying continually, saying, God, I'm, I'm not just going to think about these things. I'm going to bring them to you five minutes earlier in my day or, or five minutes before I go to bed. We've got to start somewhere. But if your hope is slipping, could I invite you to, to center your heart as we remember the arrival of Jesus by making a list of the very real things that God has done for you in detail? If you don't already have your list of things that you are thankful for, start there. Why? Because sometimes my attitude gets off, my heart gets clouded by my circumstances, but I can return, I can return psalms or songs of praise, moments of listening to God and speaking to God. That matters. And, and, and lists that help me remember why I'm so quick to forget. I'm quick to forget what God did one year ago. Think about 10 20, 30, 40, some of you, 50, me included, 60, 70, 80 years of God's faithfulness. He got you here. But we only see what our heart directs us to see. And sometimes all my heart is looking at is the thing that seems impossible to God. But we know that God keeps his promises, Isaiah, 700 years later. And here we are, 2,000 years later, past the advent of Jesus, and that promise to return still stands, and his promise to care for you until then still stands. What am I saying? We can count on God. We can count on him. Don't count on me. I'm faithful sometimes, often maybe. That's kind of a boast. But God is faithful always. So where do we see glimmers of hope this Advent? There are glimmers everywhere. I want to invite uh, one friend, Kelsey. Where are you? Kelsey uh, Collins is going to come, and she's going to join us. And each week, we just want to not just hear from the Scriptures, which is all authority, not just from someone teaching, which is helpful, but to just hear from other people in our church as we center our hearts on hope and peace and love. And uh, thanks for joining us, Kelsey. Kelsey, I know you, but some are new to meeting you. Um, you and your family moved here about 13 months ago. Your husband happens to be? Stephen Collins. Okay, you remember his name. This is good. So, <laughs> good Kelsey, start. <laughs> yeah, Kelsey, Stephen, you, and you have two boys? Yes. Yep, Levi is four years old. Judah is 18 months old. Oh, 18 months old. And some of you know Kelsey and the Collins story well, some of you don't, so we'll start. Uh, you moved here all as well. We're wonderful people. Best church you've ever been a part of. I agree. Um, but things quickly turned, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, they did. Um, just, just shy of a year ago, actually, we, oh, we received a crippling diagnosis for our 18-month-old, Judah. Um, so... Yeah, we had just moved to Oregon about six weeks prior from Arizona, and we had left behind, you know, our support system and network, stability, familiarity, all of that. Um, we had been building that for about eight years. We had been there, and so um, 
We found ourselves in an unfamiliar children's hospital and um, we just, you know, we sat there, we got, um, we were looking at a graph of our son's brain waves in chaos, um, being told by the neurologist to sit down. It's not good news. Um, and so she shared with us a diagnosis of infantile spasms, which is a rare um, epileptic brain disease uh, with crippling effects and really sobering prognosis. Um, the numbers and the charts, you know, they made us sick. They, um, we were told our boy may never walk, he may never talk, he may never really recognize us or have meaningful relationships. Um, and so I, I actually brought my journal that um, I bought right after his diagnosis. And um, from the first page, uh, there's an entry, and I just wanted to read a line from that. said, our world has been turned upside down. Waves of grief, heartbreak, and fear are washing over me again and again and again. It feels like our dreams for our baby boy are dying. Hope is waning. So what did we do, you know, upon hearing uh, this news? We wept, of course. We, uh, but we were and are no strangers to the God who created everything, including our baby boy's body. So the one who says that he's near to the brokenhearted um, and saves the crushed in spirit. And we remembered that he has built a family out of all those who call him father, that we were part of that family no matter what church we were in, how many years we had been there, who we even knew the names of. Um, so we called upon the church and hundreds of people from around the world came around us um, during that time. And we asked that they would join us in fasting and praying for Judah's healing. Um, the big need right away was just to get the spasms or the seizures to stop and to stop that chaotic um, brain pattern, which um, had been called like a storm in his brain. And so uh, many of you walked alongside us through that time. We, uh, we talked about, you know, there's a storm in Jesus's, or, sorry, in Judah, Judah's brain, but we know one who calms the storm and we kept praying Jesus, calm that storm, stop the seizures, you know, calm those brain waves. We even, you know, posted pictures of, of what it looked like, just chaos and, and what a normal curve looked like so that we could visualize it and, and, and see it and ask God to make that a reality. Um, so many of you know how the story goes and Jesus did, he calmed that storm and we could breathe. He stopped those seizures. We've never seen him have a seizure again. His brainwaves have not returned to that chaos. They're nowhere near that. Um, like I said, we could breathe, we rejoiced, we thanked the God of all creation. Um, and I would love to end the story like that. I would love for that to be the end of his health scare, um, but it isn't. There's a reason why we still fast and pray every morning for Judah. While that immediate emergency has been calmed, there are ongoing realities to Judah's health and um, in our lives that are nowhere near over, nowhere near resolved. Um, 
the steroids and seizure medicine stopped the spasms, they stopped the chaos, but his brainwaves are still not totally normal. Um, a reality of the disease is that he has developmental delays and they're significant at this point. Um, and much of my day-to-day -day parent in parenting involves um, visits to therapists, um, you know, occupational therapy, speech therapy, routine visits to the hospital to see specialists, um, blood work, genetic studies, genetic testing, and so much that we don't understand still. We're not sure if we'll ever get to send Judah to school. I'm not sure if he's ever gonna get to play sports. Um, we're not sure if he'll have meaningful friendships or if he'll ever fall in love. Um, there's a lot of unknown and a lot of room for discouragement and fear, to be honest. Um, so like I mentioned, I, I bought this journal after Judah's diagnosis, and you probably can't see from there, but there's an engraved sun on it. Um, and it's a sun shining, just peeking out through the, the mountains. And um, I got it to remind me that the sun would rise tomorrow. And my today felt dark, void of light and hope. But I knew that the sun would set on my sorrow and that tomorrow had hope. <laughs> Even if that tomorrow doesn't come until Jesus ushers in his new kingdom. That's the part that's hard. That's the part like Jose was talking about. Um, tomorrow, the unknown of it, that, that part's really hard. Um, but I can move from those words that I shared from my journal in the beginning where I literally wrote hope is waning to today telling you that I'm full of hope um, and joy and that I look forward to tomorrow, that there's hope for tomorrow. Um, because I've seen the God of hope do wonderful things over and over and over. Um, I hold to the promise that he will return and that he will wipe away every tear from every eye, that death will be no more. Um, and I may not see my baby boy fully healed here. I might. I pray, Lord, even now, heal Judah. Um, I hope that's my reality, and it's, it's not just a flippant hope. I hope, I really see it, I believe it. But, like I said, even, even if not, even if not tomorrow, even if not the next month, even if not next year, I know that healing, restoration, and hope is coming. Um, the God who made everything, who formed my little boy's body, has promised that he's coming back to redeem and restore all things. I eagerly await that day, and I know so many of you do too, and you have your own reasons, and we eagerly await with hope. Yeah, uh, thank you, Kelsey. I think we could all relate to some part of the human experience that you're going through, and uh, lots of people, if you don't follow them on socials, it's, it's been actually encouraging on Mondays just to see what can I be praying for, and um, and, and there are practical things that we can do to pray continually and give thanks in every circumstance. So uh, I wanted Kelsey to share in particular because the story is not finished yet. And I think the challenge is sometimes you hear stories of hope with a 
colorful, beautiful, sunshiny end. And that might not be everyone's picture. But that doesn't mean you're devoid of hope. Because uh, my hope isn't in the outcome. Our hope is in God's faithfulness to get us through whatever that looks like. And so um, I said I was going to invite you uh, to receive prayer. And I hope that you will take that as a step of faith. Here's what I want you to do. If you know, it, it doesn't have to be a child and a physical ailment. But if there's something just going on in your life where you realize, man, I want to take a step to pray continually and to receive prayer. I would love Kelsey to pray for you. And uh, I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to receive prayer, you're just going to stand in your place, and she's just going to pray God's love and mercy and care over your life. I'm going to invite you to stand now, if you would. And um, we just want to believe God with you. And I think sometimes when we have someone who's going through it, it's easier to receive prayer from someone who's in the middle of the struggle. So... I'm going to invite you, I'm going to give you a moment, because some, I know it's a courageous step, we're in a public space, but if you'd like to receive prayer, just do it now, and in a, in a loving way, just do it quickly, like just stand up, because I know you want to receive it, but you know, I don't want to be, everyone to see me, it's okay, look, the people around you are going to softly pray for you, because this is a safe place to say, man, I need, I need God, we need God to step in. Um. I am standing, obviously, but I'm actually standing because I want to receive prayer too. I desperately need it. So, Kelsey, if you just lead us out and then the worship team's going to come and we want to respond and focus our attention on Jesus. Thanks for praying for us, Kelsey. Lord, thank you that you are the God of all hope. Thank you that you are writing the stories of every person standing of every person in the building, of every person in the world, that you have purposes for your people and that you're with us through the pain and through the unknown. The fact that we can have any moments of joy and a peace and hope in the midst of suffering is just a testament to your goodness, to the way that you redeem all things, that you are working out good for our people, for your people, for us here. I pray for every person here, especially those who are standing. God, that you would draw near to them, that you would wash comfort and hope in this season, even if this season, looking ahead, looks bleak and dark. For those of us who are in the middle of the unknown, in the middle of the darkness, God, we pray that your light would wash over us, that it would shine, and that you would um, cast away all the darkness, God. You are good. Even now you're speaking to me, and it's so amazing. I even just want to share with these people that at the Seek Night last week, you impressed on my heart, pray without ceasing. The only thing I wrote from that night in my journal was pray without ceasing. And here you are speaking it to all of us to pray and to come to you. Lord, we come to you. We're here. We're here before you in need of you, wanting you, desiring your way. And we pray for your will to be done in us. I know elsewhere in your word it says we don't know what to do. We don't know where to look, but our eyes are on you, God. Thank you, Emmanuel, for being here with us. We pray for hope. 
We pray for the good that only comes through you in our lives, in our families, in our work, in our homes, in our church, in our city, and in this world, Lord, we need you. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. In your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen.